Hey, Jess. Hey, Michelle. Do you want to breathe? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. Okay, wherever you are, go ahead and take one hand to your heart and one hand to your belly so that you can drop into the movement of your breath and the natural oscillation that is occurring with each inhale and with each exhale. You don't have to change anything, but simply come into the seat of the observer and together we'll follow our breath. Inhaling in, exhaling out. Feeling the rise, feeling the fall. And then we'll take three cleansing breaths together. First, emptying all of your air out. Inhale in. Audible exhale out. Again, breathe in deeply. Breathe out completely. Last time. Let it all go. Releasing your hand and from your heart and your other hand from your belly. Come back to natural state of your breath. And we have arrived. Yay. Thanks. We like to start off with acknowledging the land that we are occupying. We are, Jazz and I, residing on the Tongva Keech Gabrielino land. And when we speak this truth, we are moving towards reconciliation for the people. Yeah. So wherever you're listening from, I want to encourage you to check out where, what land you're residing on. Maybe take a moment out of gratitude for the people that cared for your land before you settled on it. Yeah. Cool. So today we're talking about Satya. What's Satya? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sounds serious. <laughs> it is serious. It's so serious. <laughs> the Sanskrit translation for Satya is truthfulness, authenticity, sincerity, and loyalty. So it is serious. It is. <laughs> and this one's a little bit like, I'm a little bit nervous. I got some butterflies in my belly because I think this is a hard one to talk about because we both have to speak our truth today and, <laughs> and every day yeah. and all the days um, and live out our truth, especially. So one of the things that I love about Satya is that it goes hand in hand with what we talked about in our last episode, Ahimsa. Ahimsa, mm -hmm. remind me, is the practice of nonviolence. Yep. And I like to also say it as a radical love and kindness. Yeah, that's how I like to see it too. Yeah. And so we need to have both of these. True. What would it look like if you have one without the other? Well, gosh. Okay. So like truth without love would look oh, like. that's easy. Nice. Yeah. Or even, or really mean. Wait, wait, truth? Oh, okay, I thought you said the other one. Yes. So truth without love would look mean. Yeah. Yeah, would look like I don't care what people say. Yeah. Um, oh, or, I know or people what, like that. <laughs> or I don't care what people think. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to say. Yeah. Which is a dangerous path to walk on. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so then love without truth. Looks like people-pleasing being super mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. 
overly exerting yourself to make people feel comfortable walking on eggshells yes. while silencing your personal truth. Yeah. Guilty. Mm, so guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so many times. People pleasers in the house. <laughs> Gosh. We're unlearning. Until now. Yes. Until now. Um, yeah. So what does the Bible have to say about it? Let's go straight to it. About truth telling? Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Where should we start? (laughs) Well, I think first acknowledging that truth telling and radical love go hand in hand. It's important for us to remember that. Well, (laughs) let's go back. I think something that Christians are really good at is shoving their beliefs down other people's throats who simply don't care. And it's almost like there's we think that the Great Commission meant to go and tell everyone everything they're doing wrong and that our way is better. But this is actually, I don't know where this comes from. Um, I'm thinking specifically of Paul in 1 Corinthians when he's telling the church, why why are you judging non-Christians? They, they don't have your standard. You don't have their standard. And actually, I think what's even crazier is that Paul says, hey, Go share a meal with with non-believers, not because you're trying to change them, but to show them Jesus's love. But the people that you should not share a meal with are the people of the faith who know God's law and know Jesus and yet are not keeping it. Like those are the people that we're not supposed to share a meal with, according to Paul. (laughs) Wow. And so we've been we've been doing the opposite. Yeah, we've been doing the opposite, which I think goes back to the truth without love. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other verse, you're going to know it, is the one that says, like, before telling your neighbor about the... The dust in their eye. The speck, yes. Check out the plank in your eye. The big old plank. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And how often we do that. Yeah. Which is why I love the practice of ahimsa, because Mm -hmm. it's all about non-judgment and compassion and kindness and love. Yeah, it really sets the foundation for everything else. Yeah. So... How do we balance that out, though? How do how what does it look like to be able to speak truth in kindness? Ooh, this is a hard one. It is a hard one. <laughs> I don't think speaking truth always necessarily has to be speaking truth. Ooh, what if we lived our truth, which is what Jesus did? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So instead of telling someone you're living the wrong way, show them a different way of living. Like serving the poor and loving your neighbor as yourself, living your truth instead of just speaking it. This is so great. And of course, as a mom, I always relate it to parenting. And and so much of parenting reminds me of God and and how bad of a God I would be. Like, thank God I'm not a God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so I just think about like monkey see, monkey do. And mm-hmm. so sometimes when I hear my kids saying certain things to each other, I'm like, oh, gosh, that's what I sound like to them. And so if I can, uh, instead of, like, don't talk to them like that, showing them how to talk to each other versus telling them how to do it. Right. So, gosh, it really starts with us. It does. In our home. Yeah, always. (laughs) So speaking of us, starting with us, one of my favorite ideas of Satya that Deborah Adele and a lot of what we talk about comes from her book, The Yamas and Niyamas, Exploring Yoga's Ethical Practice, is that idea of updating our Satya Mm. because our our truth 
is fluid. Truth is fluid. Wait, but haven't we? Wait. Okay. I don't know about you, but I grew up learning about truth as like the hard concrete blocks that cannot be moved. So when you say truth is fluid and updating our truth. Oh, oh my God. What does that look like? So so what's (laughs) naturally popping up right now is that verse that you and I have talked about and how it says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Nobody Mm -hmm. comes to the Father except through me. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's going back to what you said. It's living out our truth. And so because we are Jesus followers, we look at how Jesus lived his life. Right. And he lived his life dedicated to... Serving the poor, <laughs> loving, loving the the least of these, etc. So I think that that is the truth that we are all seeking, mm-hmm. and that is an objective truth. I think mm-hmm. the problem is unlearning the truths that we thought were the truth. Ooh, does that make sense? Yeah, unlearning the truths that we thought were truths. Right. Okay. Or that we were conditioned to believe were truths. Yeah. Um, for example. I'm just going to go straight to it, but like guilt. So growing up in the church, Mm -hmm. oftentimes we are driven by guilt. I not even often, I think majority of people who have gone away from the church and are just totally don't like religion is because it's such a guilt driven way of thinking and and living. I agree. And guilt does serve a purpose. And we've talked about that before. Um, Like, what did you say about kids and guilt? Oh, yeah. Like when you're a kid, I think guilt is good because when you know (laughs) that your mom said to clean up your toys before you, um, what was the thing that the kids were doing yesterday? Before they could have iPad time. Mm -hmm. You said clean up the toys and they said, we did. And then you started checking and then immediately, because I was sitting with the kids, they (laughs) Kenji and Keanu all tense up a little bit because they already know, oh crap, we didn't do that that great. And so I think guilt guilt is good for us to see our shortcomings, but I think it becomes harmful when we cannot release the guilt once we've learned our lesson from it. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, that's definitely been a big unlearning, you know, coming into adulthood, especially parenting. I often find myself moving from a place of guilt and feeling this huge burden of guilt when it comes to, you know, maybe leaving my kiddos and having to go to work and feeling like I'm not a good enough mom because I'm not there 100 percent of the time. Or feeling guilty from saying no to people and like setting boundaries because I'm wanting to be there for everybody and love on them and make sure that they're taken care of. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big one. That's a big truth for me that I had to unlearn and release and update. And update. Yeah. Yeah. What would be one of yours? I think the first one that comes to mind is this belief that I held that I had to save everyone from the fire of hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same. And, yeah. And where learning, does that come from? Well, the easy answer, I mean, it comes from church, but I think that teaching comes from this need for control, mm-hmm. right? As mm-hmm. you were saying earlier, this need for control and 
feeling like we have to do it all and that it's our job to play God. Sometimes we forget that we're not God mm-hmm. and our what I've learned and had what I've had to relearn and the truth I've had to update is that it's not my job actually to save people from hell. <laughs> it's actually my job, according to the Bible, to love people in a radical way. Yeah. And loving people in a radical way is the opposite of hell. Right. It's bringing heaven on earth. Yeah. That was a huge one for me too, is going, oh, we really don't know. We really don't know. We can't be for certain. We can believe and have faith. But what I do know for sure is that I have this amount of time to live my life in a certain way. And how can I bring heaven on earth as much as possible? Right. Totally. By loving, by truth telling in a way that we live it out. Totally. Like Jesus. Yeah. I wonder if we'll have an episode about like deconstructing hell. Oh, yeah, we have to. It's like my favorite. I think this is great. I think it sets the tone and the, yeah, I think it sets the foundation. So this idea of updating our truths that we just talked about, they were in certain times, like certain stages of our life. And in yoga philosophy, there's the ashramic stages. Do you know about the ashramic stages? I do not know about the ashramic stages. Well, it's really cool because... They see life as divided up into four different parts. And the first part is growing up with the support of your parents and learning a new skill. Very similar to us. Yeah. Like I'm thinking like, okay, pretty much baby to college. Yeah. And then. Maybe even 30. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For some people. (laughs) I didn't move out of my house until I was 27. So I'm right there with you. That is so great. Um, And then it was, then the second stage is, then you use your skill for the good of community, and then you receive the money that you need to support your own family, raise your own family. So that's like the householder stage. Um, So this is going to be like, yeah, depending on (laughs) when that started for you, anywhere from like 24 to like 50 and beyond, I, I would say probably like 50 until like your kids leave the house. And then the next stage is leaving your worldly possessions and tasks in search of inner wisdom. And Mm -hmm. so this one, I know this one's interesting because obviously this is from way back when. Right. And so we don't have the luxury of doing this. I I say that this is kind of more like retirement would be Mm -hmm. um, because then the next stage is returning to the community, guiding and supporting what has been with what you have attained. So Mm. when you went and like you seeked your wisdom then they were able to come back to the community and then offer it to the community. So it's kind of like our, our lolas, our abuelitos and abuelitas, and them coming back and like speaking their elderly wisdom. Yeah. So it's kind of makes sense. It's really similar. Um, And so just thinking about, okay, is your, the way you're living your life again, because it's not necessarily truth telling, Mm -hmm. but living out your truth, is it congruent with yourself in that season of life? And with your surroundings. I think that's a big one. Yeah. This reminded me of something that we talked about in, I think it was in the beginning of 300 Hour. And What's 300 Hour? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Don't apologize. (laughs) Yeah, 300 Hour is the... I, I describe it as the master quote master's degree of yoga, mm-hmm. whereas your 200 hours kind of like your bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. So your 300 hour is the next level of education in yoga. And it's typically focused on like different 300 hours can be different. Ours is focused on public health and wellness and particularly serving the underserved, which I love. 
And so in this training that I am in that Michelle is leading, I get to be a student again. And we talked about how we need different practices for different stages of life. And I have been a vinyasa to power flow (laughs) yoga practitioner since I started. And I realized that that might not actually be the practice that's best for me in this current season. And so I started consistently taking slower classes and I have really found that those classes like Hannah's breathe and flow and even teaching a yin and yang class that's half vinyasa, half um, seated and restorative and meditative is what I need. So good. I like what I wanted was to continue doing vinyasa too. And I, I still want to be the vinyasa mm-hmm. two girl, but I think putting ego aside, this is what I need. And that takes you being able to humbly look at yourself and practice self-study to know, okay, what do I actually need and listening to your body and letting go of maybe, I don't know what held you back. Like for me, my thing is always like shoulds, like I have to stop shooting on myself. And so like, I should be going hard and doing powerful because that is what got me into it. And okay, I don't have babies anymore. Like they're now toddlers and young children. And so Uh I should be, you know, breaking a sweat and going crazy, but really my body is tired and needs rest. And yeah. so like my favorite thing is restorative uh-huh. <laughs> and, and like putting my legs up the wall and the Shavasana and meditation and yoga nidra, which is these long guided meditations to get you into a really restful state. So I know that for me, at least it was letting go of again, guilt mm-hmm. and thinking that I needed to do something yeah, for the sake of, I don't know, mostly myself, just the pressure that I put on myself. Yeah. I would say my reason was exactly the same. Yeah. I think it's probably really similar for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that's a really great uh, example is, you know, with our asana practice and especially as teachers, that's one of the things that we talk about too, is if you are a movement facilitator that you're looking at your audience and your students and teaching them from a place of their truth. Mm-hmm. And, and then also giving them permission to move from the place of their truth. Right. Right. Yes. So how hard it is when you are teaching a multi-level class and then there's one person that might need to, you know, maybe they are going to go into an inversion. But maybe the person next to them isn't necessarily there that day. Right. Maybe for that day they need to take a child shape. Right. Versus the, the pressure of performing. Performing. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so living out our truth can be something even that we do on our yoga mat. Totally. Especially. Definitely. I think that's where the practice starts. When we look at it from a biblical standpoint, how how have we seen the Bible evolve with with different beliefs and truths? Oh, man. I think the first thing that comes to mind is how hardcore they were about circumcision in the Old Testament. And then... And why, though? Why? Because this is what designated God's people. It was like their marker of how you knew that someone was from Abraham's line versus not. Okay. And then why did people need to know that? (laughs) Yeah. Good question. So that you could see how different these people were, or they were supposed to be so different (laughs) that you Mm. could tell like, oh man, these people live life differently. They have a different set of moral rules. They hit, they're following another way of life. So they're set apart. And so the circumcision was supposed to be kind of a mark of that, of saying, 
kind of like, I would think of it as the old school baptism. Like I am Ooh. consecrating my life to God because this is what sets me apart. And in doing this, I will live a life that, that people can see Yahweh in me and my people. Okay. So that's what it was originally was the purpose of it. And then what happened? So then in the New Testament, I'm thinking particularly of the book of Galatians when Paul kind of goes off on the church because they have obsessed over circumcision. And what the people in the church of Galatia were doing were telling people, if you want to be a Christian, a Christ follower, you still have to do this. And the people that did not get circumcised, they would not allow in the church. And Paul is yelling at them in this letter saying, this is not the point anymore. Mm -hmm. The mark is now, the circumcision is now supposed to be in your heart, mm -hmm. not physically. Following in line with Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, taking these external laws and moving them to the heart. Yeah. All about the heart posture. Yeah. The intention. Yeah. Not the outward appearance and performance. Totally. Boom. I mean, <laughs> there's so many examples. Do you have an example where we see a change in law from the Old Testament to the New Testament or even the evolution of God's law? Yeah. Committing adultery. Yeah. Yeah. In the Old Testament or the Ten Commandments. Yeah. There's a committing adultery. Mm -hmm. Right. And then in the New Testament... They're all like, Jesus, what's up? Like, yeah, <laughs> this is how I picture it. Um, like, you need to talk about, you know, committing adultery. And I think back to when we were kids and you'd go like, how far is too far? Right. Like, when you're making out, like, can <laughs> yeah. you make out? Like, where can <laughs> first face, second face, third face? And then the, my youth pastor would be like, okay, it's about your heart and your intention. And so, yeah. and then, then Jesus says, even if a man looks at somebody, another person's wife with lust, with lust, that's committing adultery. Yeah. Actually, the whole Sermon on the Mount is a perfect example of the evolution of Old Testament law that Jesus evolves and says, this is what we need now. Yeah. But people just take things out of context all yeah. the time. And yeah. they just go, well, there's, there's a verse and now we're going to live it out completely yeah. as if it was written for us today, right now. Yeah. This is totally. not living Satya. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> By any means. So what else about Satya comes up for you? Hmm. I'm thinking of Deborah Dell's book. She talks about truth as being not necessarily safe, but being good. And when you talk about safety versus good or something being not safe, but it is good. So many neurons are firing in my brain like because, what? well, <laughs> like Jesus, <laughs> like Jesus' ministry was not safe, mm. right? But it was so good. Right. You got me that shirt that says that Jesus flipped tables or something. Yeah. Flipped the tables of oppression. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I love that part in her book too. And she talks about being real versus nice. Yes. And so, so often we have this depiction of what Jesus was like and Jesus was kind and gentle with kids right and mm -hmm. and we see these pictures of jesus also like be um washing his disciples feet mm -hmm. right and also right. mary's yeah who was a prostitute is that right um oh no he let the woman oh wash, wash his, his feet. feet yeah again a very gentle kind yeah but that's not the only jesus no 
<laughs> no, because my favorite story is when he walks in the temple and he's like, what the, I imagine he's like in Aramaic <laughs> saying, what the F is going on here? And then like Hulk smashes the tables over. Amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, because they were defiling this holy place and these holy practices and they were taking advantage of people financially. Of course they were. We still see that today. Yeah. Actually, my nephew the other day, I sent my cousin a Bible project video, um, the Holy Which Spirit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so he watched a video and he had questions on why did they kill Jesus? And this is exactly why. Yeah. They wouldn't have killed a really nice guy. No. He challenged the status quo. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So yeah. how how are you able to practice this, this idea of like... Because I know for me, we just talked about that we are people pleasers. Yeah. And so this idea of, of wanting to belong, I think, is a big one. Mm-hmm. And, and wanting to be liked and accepted. Right. Definitely. I'm also thinking about just everything that this year, that 2020 has brought and the way that it challenged me to rethink what it means to be an ally and how... It's not enough to spread the word and to raise awareness and to, you know, speak truth. But like James says, without, you know, faith without action is pointless. Another way that I think about real versus nice is those hard conversations Mm -hmm. that I know my family has had this year and I know your family has had this year. Yeah. So what is, what is real versus nice and truth look like in those conversations for you? Like even on social media, risk of losing people, followers, or even as a business owner, risk of people um, not wanting to come to the studio anymore. I had to have some hard conversations with just the, the climate in general and actually educating on what is white supremacy. And I had some real hard conversations here and um, at the studio. So It's hard. It's a lot harder to be real than be nice. It is. Yeah. But I think that's such a great example. And I think that is what we are supposed to do, because if we if we are too afraid to have those conversations, then we're just keeping with the status quo. So today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And I think he's such a great example because he challenged the status quo. He challenged the laws of his day. He even challenged the church (laughs) to re-examine their truth and to re-examine God's truth. And in doing so, I read recently that his approval rating, his disapproval rating when he died was 75%, which means his approval rating when he died was only 25%. Wow. That's how little people liked him. And now we commemorate him because we see the good that he did in the long run Mm. and like the good that was needed to be done. Yeah. When we as individuals live out our truth, uh, we might not see the good that comes from it. We might not see the fruits of it, but we are planting seeds, you know, and actually that's what happened with me with the studio when I had to have some of these tough conversations is now like months later having somebody say, I see now what you were talking about. Yeah. And like, I can't believe I didn't see it before. Yeah. And and like, I got chills right now just because it's like that during that time. I mean, I was like emotionally so stressed out because again, being a people pleaser, yeah, like it really took a toll on me and like being a person that struggles with guilt. Like, am I, am I doing the wrong thing? Mm-hmm. 
you know? And so having to really process that and let it go and know that God knows my heart and my yeah, intentions. Totally. And then getting to hear that later on was, was pretty cool. Yeah. To affirm it. Yeah. Seeds is such a great reminder because the change will never, lasting change will never come immediately. No. It's all about the seeds. Takes so much time. Yeah. Well, I just want to point out, I, so I've been doing this practice since I was like probably like 12 years old um, that my parents offered for me. So Proverbs has 31 chapters. And so I've been reading a Proverbs every single day. So today's the 18th. Today I read Proverbs 18. So it's like, I've read it. I mean, how many times? You're the master. So many times. <laughs> dozens of dozens I know, of because times. I've heard you talk about that. And then recently you said I was reading my proverb this morning. And I was like, again? Like, you're still in this book? I'm still in this book? 20-something <laughs> years later? Nope, I just re- reread it on repeat. Wow. Yeah, so. Have you, do you have it memorized or certain oh proverbs I, I think that subconscious, like, there's some definitely that I have memorized. Yeah. But, like, when I read it, I'm like, oh, yep, there's that one again. Yeah. But what's the most beautiful thing, which is really similar to Sanskrit, is you can reread it for the hundredth time and you see some of it come alive in a completely different way, Yeah, especially with the season that you're in your life. So here's a, a great example. Righteousness. Growing up, every time I read righteousness, I thought it meant doing good, as oh. in like being good yeah. and not doing bad like not getting, making my parents upset, not making God mad at me, following every single rule, never making a mistake. That is a lot of pressure. It is. (laughs) And I, so you can see where the guilt and the people pleasing comes from. That is for me. Um, And so now because of you knowing like, oh, what does righteousness actually mean? You tell them. Yeah. It's changed my life. Yeah. In the Bible, righteousness means being right with God and being right with people. And which means... Loving God by loving people. Social justice. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because actually in the Bible, righteousness is always intertwined with with justice. Yeah. Always. What are the two words? Mishpat and uh, justice is mishpat. Righteousness is, I cannot remember right now, but in the Bible, they're intertwined. Like you cannot be a righteous person without seeking justice. And in the Bible, justice means a restorative. It's not about 5% of the time it's referring to justice. Like if someone stole something, give it back, you know, mm-hmm. 95% of the time it's talking about this justice, like changing systems that are causing harm and oppressing people and keeping people out. And you cannot be a righteous person in God's eyes if we're not seeking justice, social justice for people. Yeah. It's so amazing. And serving again, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, the least yeah. of these. So now when I read Proverbs and every single time it bring, righteousness comes up, it's a whole different lens. Totally. And yeah. it's so exciting. And every time I see it, it always there's always some other part of it that goes back to the poor or the widow. Yeah. Um, or the, the immigrant. Mother. Yeah. The, the prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> like, always, like that's what we're still seeing today. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I'm so inspired. I'm so challenged. I'm encouraged all the things. And I, I know Proverbs has so much to say about truth. So since you know the whole book, basically, or the whole book of Proverbs. <laughs> I do not know the whole book. <laughs> what are some of your faves? Uh, okay, so one of my favorites is 1922, 
What is desirable in a man is his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. It is better to be poor than a liar? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and again, we're not we're saying liar not from just like, oh, you tell lies, right. but living a lie. Yeah. Claiming you know Jesus and love Jesus, but not oh my living gosh. it Think out. about all of the lying that takes place to to become like a wealthy, powerful person. Mm-hmm. God's like, it, it don't matter. <laughs> right. And then that goes back to that verse about the uh, uh, going through a needle. Oh, yeah. What is it? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had never made that connection with it's better to be poor than a liar. And what it takes to become wealthy. See? <laughs> Not poor. See? So good. So good. Uh, 2628, a lying tongue hates its victims and flattering words cause ruin. I love this mm. one because, again, we want to make people feel comfortable. Uh, one of the things that my mentor says is, um, is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Yeah. And so a lot of times we think that the kindness part is like that idea of being nice, but yeah. kindness is truth. Yeah, is, totally. Is truth telling. Yeah. Or twenty one twenty eight says a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. Mm. So also truth telling also requires listening. So much listening. Yeah. I think more listening than telling. Definitely. And observing. Absolutely. And studying other people and other text. Yeah. I think as well, which is, I think the point, what I learned from you in our 200 hour or bachelor's degree yoga, um, of meditation and just that opening that. Oh yeah. Mind opening that I had about how meditation like prayer is when we talk to God, the meditation is when we listen and a conversation needs both. Mm-hmm. That was a big one for me when I realized that I'm like, Oh, all this time. All this time yeah. we've been talking so much to God yeah. and haven't given space to yeah. listen to God. Yeah. This is a big one because we think meditation, as far as, again, coming from a place of fear, like we talked about before, that meditation is clearing the mind. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. But we'll talk about that more. Yeah. In a different episode. <laughs> meditation. Uh, yes. So listening, lots of listening, lots of observing. So I love Proverbs. So much wisdom in it. So much. <laughs> it's so great. Um, so let's wrap it up. A lot of times we are not speaking truth or even living out truth because of fear. Right. Which you mentioned earlier really comes from a place of control. Yeah. But what else? What else do you think? Or how do you see it? I think fear and control go hand in hand. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that, of that direct connection. But I don't, I think, (laughs) I think each one requires the other one, fear and control, because we, we pursue control out of fear that something will happen or not happen. And we are so afraid that hiding truth has become a regular practice. Deborah Adele in her book says that hiding truth has become a regular practice. And I think it's because we make it a practice because we are so afraid of blank happening or blank not happening. And so we feel the need to control things. And I love what Deborah Dell says here. And I'm going to just read it straight from the book. Yeah. So she says, the compassion of nonviolence keeps truthfulness from being a personal weapon. It asks us to think twice before we walk around mowing people down with our truth, then wonder where everyone went. 
The fluidity of truth also requires that we clean our lens and periodically get new glasses with which to observe the world. Our seeing is limited by all the groups that shape us, as well as by our experience. What we believe, whether we are aware of that belief or not, informs everything we do and every choice we make. To be a bold person of truth is to constantly look for what we are not seeing and to expose ourselves to different views than the ones we hold sacred. Mm. As Yogi Raj Achala reminds us, what are you not seeing because you are seeing what you are seeing? Whoa. Can you read that part from Yogi Raj again? Yes. What are you not seeing because you are seeing what you are seeing? So in other words, what are you missing because you're so focused on the one thing? Yeah. Maybe like, like, what is it called? Like your tunnel vision. Yeah. And again, fear being the the barrier Mm -hmm. that allows us to open up our vision so we can see beyond ourselves. Yeah. Back to 1 John 4, we talked about last week, there's no fear in love. Right. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Mm, Sound mind. You know, that's been my word lately, sound mind. (laughs) So we unpacked a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you think would be a helpful way for us to practice satya this week? Okay. So this is actually something that I did with my students at the university is examining where their beliefs come from. So what beliefs are they holding Hmm. and what they value? And then how can you live that value out? Or how are you living that value or belief out? Cool. So may we all be open to new ways of seeing ourselves, the world, and our faith. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Jazz. Till next time. See ya.